0: Let us pray. The world with wanton pride exalts its sinful pleasures, and for them foolishly gives up the heavenly treasures. Let others love the world with all its vanity. I love the Lord my God, what is the world to me? Amen. Grace and peace. Love and mercy from God, our Father, through Jesus Christ, our risen Savior and Lord. Amen. Text for our meditation this morning, Psalm 18, verse 27. One verse that we sang earlier in our service, one verse from our intro. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, you probably have heard the phrase, the seven deadly sins. It's not a biblical phrase, but it's a phrase that has been very prominent in the Christian church since the early fourth century. That's a long time a long time. The Desert Father, seeking to get away from the world, kind of coined this phrase, the seven deadly sins. And while that phrase is not from the Bible, the sins certainly are. It was born from a desire to love virtue rather than vice. Good rather than evil. And so these seven biblical sins were highlighted. They were marked. They were preached against. Vice was to be avoided. Virtue, virtue that comes from the Lord was to be exalted. The seven deadly sins have been prominent in art, and literature for 1500 years. Talk to someone under the age of 20 and they probably know about the Japanese animated series called The Seven Deadly Sins. Immensely popular worldwide. Number one on the list of seven deadly sins, no matter how they are portrayed, is always the same. Pride. Pride. Pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, sloth, certainly all of these things, are highlighted as sin and condemned in God's word. The Latin word for pride is suburbia. I am the most superb thing in the world. Hence, my pride. Pride is generally associated with corruption, but not corruption of the heart as much as corruption of the mind. Now, unless you've been living in a cave as a hermit for the last couple of weeks, we've been hearing a lot about pride lately, haven't we? Of course we have. And it's nothing new. It's been going on for a long time. I remember the first pride celebration, it was really a parade that I was exposed to it was almost 40 years ago. There's another name for pride, another name that we don't really use much anymore. It's kind of fallen out of use. It's hubris. It's like pride on steroids. And in many respects, that's what June has turned into. The month of hubris. God's word for today talks about a prideful heart. And again, uses a word that is not very common in our vocabulary. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Haughty eyes are prideful eyes. Haughty eyes look at self. Me, myself, and I. And we are so consumed with self that we don't notice anyone or anything else. And so now growing ever so steadily for the last 20 or 30 or 40 years this uh, obsession especially during the month of June with pride is all around us. You can't avoid it even if you would want to. Basically what has happened is a small but very powerful minority has taken over and it's making a prideful announcement to the whole world and that announcement is we are out and we are proud and we don't care what you think about it that's what this month has turned into and it sells pretty well in our society. Our society that has been changing over the last 20 or 30 or 40 years. A society where personal feelings dictate reality. A society where personal offenses rewrites history. A society where personal desires define your identity. And there is a great contempt in our society for anybody who disagrees. Just try it sometime. You will be highlighted marginalized, and canceled. Now, the question for us baptized brothers and sisters in Christ is, do we really need a month devoted to hubris? After all, it comes natural to all of us, comes natural to our sinful nature, Do we need a month dedicated to self-indulgence? Do we need a month where we highlight our sinful wants, desires, privileges, and self-centeredness? Do we need to announce publicly that which up until recently has always been done privately? Do we need to announce pridefully that which has always been thought of as shameful, bringing about guilt, wrong, dare I say sin you see that's the word we can't use anymore that's the word that has been canceled no one can say this is vice and this is virtue no one can say this is right this is wrong no one can say god's word condemns this thought this word this deed because it is sin Sin is the forbidden word. Now, a few weeks ago, I was visiting with one of the members of our congregation, and I said, I don't know how much longer our culture can handle this kind of fighting. I said, I can only see it leading to some sort of a cultural revolution. And this member looked at me and said, Pastor, we've been in a cultural war for a long time. And we're losing because we're not even fighting. The more I thought about that, the more I realized how true his words are. My friends, we're afraid. We're afraid. Pastors are afraid to confront sin. Churches are afraid to speak God's word. Why? Because we don't want to get canceled. Because we don't want to have protesters. We don't want to have people leave the congregation because we're seen as unloving or uncaring. When the most unloving and uncaring thing that we can do is to keep silent and let someone, because of their obsession with their sin, ride the slippery slope to hell. We have become paralyzed by fear, chief of sinners, though I be, refusing to admit that we are in a cultural war, we have been for a long time, and we're losing because we're afraid to speak. You see, the war we're in is not a war with knives and guns and clubs. It's a war of words. It's a war of ideas. And we have the most powerful weapon in the world because the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is powerful to create life. The Word of God... Saves a humble people. And the Word of God convicts haughty eyes that sin is truly sin. My friends, how did we get to this point? There was a brilliant, brilliant Lutheran theologian who lived in the mid to late 19th century, Charles Porterfield Crouth. And he talked about three stages of error that creeps into the church. The first stage is when error says, oh, just tolerate me, just tolerate me. I'm small, I'm insignificant. I don't want much, I just wanna be tolerated. And that toleration sounds so good. And so error gets a foot in the door. And then the second step is equality. You know, I used to be small, but now I've grown. All we want is equal footing. Equal footing for for what we believe. And it sounds so good, equality. And so truth and error are given. Equal status. But that equality doesn't last long. Because the third step is superiority. Error finally says, We are the truth. We are in control. You must bow to us. And as you look back over time, as you look back over every error that has crept into the church, it has come the same way. Tolerance, equality, superiority. It was 20 years ago when that same member here in this congregation who schooled me with regard to the cultural war we are in, said, Pastor, there's a fourth stage. There's a fourth stage to error. He was right then and he's right now. The fourth stage to error is celebration. If you don't celebrate the error, then you are the ones that should be canceled. And that's where we are right now. So, my friends, what do we do? Do we sit back, like I've been doing, like many of you have been doing, and just take it? Because you're afraid of, of being singled out, criticized, canceled? Or do you... Humbly confess your sin before the Lord. Our sin of keeping silent when we should have spoken out. Our sin of failing to love the truth enough to embrace it and teach it to our children. My friends, Ephesians 4.15 exhorts us to speak The truth in love. And that's where we are right now. First, our sin of silence needs to end. We need to speak. What we speak is not a a mean, a harsh, a condemning word, but the truth of God's word. The truth of sin and grace. The truth of love and true love forgives sin. It does not excuse it or tolerate it. My friends, do not be surprised, the Apostle John says in our epistle reading, that the world hates you. It's true. The world has always hated Christ and the message of Christ's word. It shouldn't shock us. It shouldn't surprise us. But God's Word is sure and certain. We have the greatest gift of humility that the world has ever seen. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of the universe, the second person of the Trinity. If there was ever one who had a right to be prideful, it was Him. And yet he laid aside his divinity. He took on flesh and blood, true God and true man, all at the same time for us. Jesus humbled himself to be born of a virgin, born under the law, the law that condemns us. Why? To save us from our sin, to save us from eternal destruction. Jesus has taken every sin, the seven deadly sins and more, onto himself and into himself as he bled and died on Calvary's cross. For all of our sins of silence and for all of our sins of pride and hubris, Jesus Christ crucified and risen There is life in His name and in only His name. That is what we celebrate, not only during the month of June, but every day that the Lord God gives us. And now, as the church, speaking the truth in love, we hear Jesus' words, His great commission and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. My friends, law and gospel, repentance and forgiveness, sin and grace. That's God's message for you, and through us that is god's message his life giving and life changing message for the entire world may god grant us the courage not only to believe it but to speak it amen now may the peace of god which far surpasses all understanding keep our hearts our minds, our lives, our words, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.